Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. As we turn there, I've been reminded over the past couple weeks of the power of God's Word. This is the highest authority in the universe. It's the Word of God. And so what does the Word of God say about itself? It says this, that God's Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. This means that God's word is bright at night. It means that God's word glows in the dark. You ever seen a glow-in-the-dark Bible? Spiritually, that's what it is. And so, regardless of the circumstance that you walked into this room with, we gather around the word. Every week, in season and out of season, And the word of God is about to be unleashed in this room, but it's up to you if it's going to be unleashed in your life. Let's stand to our feet and read God's word together. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. I am excited to share with you what God has shown me. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died. But come and put your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's home and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said, go away, the girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. Let me pause just for a moment. I'm not gonna address this in my sermon today. But it seems rather harsh that Jesus would evict the mourners But I want us to realize here that in the culture of his day, most of these people were being paid by the hour. So you hire a professional musician. It was a cultural expectation when someone passed away to hire professional musicians and professional mourners. Can you imagine that as a career path? What do you do for a living? I'm a lawyer. I'm a teacher. I'm a doctor. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm a mourner. A professional, graduate-level mourner. But you you understand here, and, and the more wealthy someone was, there was the expectation for them to hire um, based upon their income. And this guy was wealthy. So Jesus, and the fact that they went from weeping and mourning to what? Laughing was an indication that they were there because they were being compensated, not because they were grief-stricken. So Jesus evicts. Um, this, this group, and they're laughing at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. Heavenly Father, may your Holy Spirit illuminate your holy word in Jesus' name. Amen. You can grab a seat. As 
He was saying this. Again, listen, lean in. Context is absolutely critical in order to appropriately understand and apply the truths of God's word. Proof proof texting is when you take a truth out of its original context and make it mean something it never meant. So you gotta see the flow of scripture here. So it says, as he was saying this, to set the scene around these encounters, Jesus is probably still at Matthew's house. So do you remember the backstory here? There's a group of religious experts. There are Pharisees and Sadducees. There's religious professors and lawyers that are in the driveway scrutinizing Jesus, criticizing Jesus. There's also a group of John the Baptist disciples. Apparently, this is a rather large crowd, as we'll see in a moment. But as he was teaching in the middle of church, This brother, booyah, kicks down the door and elbows people out of the way and interrupts a sermon of the Messiah. How rude. What if that were to happen right now? What if one of you were to get up and just come down to the altar weeping? What if someone were to bust through those doors right now and say, I I need help. I need help. Would we look at them with compassion or with judgment and criticism? Well, look how Jesus responded here. We have a desperate dad, and he breaks through the crowd, frantically searching for Jesus. What I I want to do is not just exegete the scripture, but I want to try to create the emotional climate around the truth. You have a desperate dad. His daughter is dead. So do you think he's going to roll up to Matthew's house and... Ding dong. <clears throat> no, there's, there's, a, there's church going on right now, right? There's a crowd of people in the front yard, in the driveway. So his, when he's sitting by the bedside of his daughter, and this guy, he's a, he's a wealthy man. He's a well-known man. He's a man of influence and status. So he's had doctor after doctor, and yet his daughter has died. And can you imagine him bolting out of his house and running frantically through the streets? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? And he comes through, the, he frantically burst into the house. That's the emotional scene here. His daughter is dead. And the desperation of the moment overrules decorum. A desperate dad, breathing hard, crying, throws himself at the feet of Jesus. Please help me. It's a posture of desperation. Desperation drives us to our knees. Crisis moment, crisis moments in our journey puts everything into perspective. The kind of relationships you have, the kind of career you have, the kind of reputation you're building, the kind of image you're crafting, the kind of finances you have, all of that means nothing in our hour of need. Nothing provides no hope in our hour of crisis. Luke adds that this was the man's only daughter. She was around 12 years old. We find out who this guy is from the other gospels. It's 
It's the same event from different vantage points, right? So you have this same event that the different gospel writers inspired by God are bringing out specific truths about this same event. We find out this guy's name. His name was Jarius, a key leader in the Jewish synagogue and possibly even a member of the Sanhedrin, which means, that's the Jewish Supreme Court, by the way, back in the day, which means this guy was a religious big wig. So let me hit the pause button here. So you have a desperate dad frantically fighting his way through the crowd, kicking down the door, interrupting Jesus, and throwing himself at his feet, breathing hard and weeping and begging and pleading. So you have a religious leader in that posture, and I want to contrast that with people that are sitting around him. You have this, these professors that have their arms crossed, and this guy is one of their own. This guy, they're a part of the same fraternity. Jarius was well known. And here he is groveling at the feet of this uneducated, untrained, unordained country preacher. They're embarrassed by this brother. Come on, man. Get it together. What's your problem? In their mind, they're thinking, this guy's lost it. The colleagues that are critiquing Jesus the disciples of John that are scrutinizing his attitude and actions. Most of the religious leaders were defiant, but as we see here, a few are receptive. And it's desperation that overwhelms decorum. Such a simple response, isn't it? But again, it's not just, it's not just the text. Uh, Just letting the Holy Spirit captivate our imaginations with his word. So you see Jarius there, and everybody's staring at him. Like he has grabbed the attention of the crowd. And Jesus has a moment. And what does he do? What does Jesus do? Does he leverage this moment to prove a point with his opponents? I probably would have. To back up and let him grovel for a moment. This is... This is your captain. He's looking at the Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law. Look, this is your guy clinging to my feet. How does Jesus respond to this unscripted moment, this desperate moment? It's such a simple response here, but there's so much more going on. It says, Jesus got up and went with him. He stopped what he was doing. He was Q&A, filled in questions, maybe even preaching a sermon. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to go with this guy. And everybody's like, but I bought a ticket. Like, I took the day off work. Like, what? And so they followed him, right? They just, and this whole crowd's moving towards Jarius' house. But listen. There's so much more, I believe, going on here non-verbally. The countenance and the compassion of Christ. You have a broken man trembling at his feet, and he doesn't make the man grovel. He reaches down, and he lifts him up. Can you imagine this man that may have even had been an opponent of Jesus, a criticizer of Jesus, and the humility it took for him in front of his friends to fall on his feet in a posture of worship. And he looked up, and what did he see? 
he saw the countenance of God in the face of Christ. Countenance of compassion that touched his soul. Can you imagine Jesus reaching down towards this brother and lifting him up and going with him to his house? There was no forms to fill out. There was no approval process. There was no theological exam. He simply responded to this brother's faith. Now, what happens next is incredible. Now, it might seem, at first, it appeared to me as two isolated incidents, but man, God connected them this week. It's the same fundamental message. It's the same fundamental truth, and it's being expressed by two very different people. So they're on their way to Jarius's house, and this is a scene within a scene. We move from a desperate dad to a desperate woman. Now, remember now, Jarius is frantic. Jarius is desperate. So that means the brother just dialed 911, and the ambulance pulls up, and Jesus jumps into the back of the ambulance with Jarius, and they flip the sirens on, and they're running the reds. So there's, this is a 911 moment. And yet, in the midst of the crisis, Jesus stops. Can you imagine? He stops the ambulance. He pulls over. He says, wait. There's something I'm supposed to do now. Mark says that this lady had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. This desperate woman had bankrupted herself seeking a cure. And rather than get better, can you imagine how disheartening? She was in despair. There was no hope. There was no help. Not only was there physical agony, but there was also strong social and a spiritual stigma. And this is the part most of us completely miss, listen, which is the main point Jesus is trying to make. <laughs> but if we don't stop and say, wait, what's going on here? What's really happening? What is Jesus trying to communicate to us as kingdom people? And it's the social spiritual stigma that surrounds this woman that Jesus is deconstructing. That's the point for the people around the crowd, people in the crowd, that, and that's the point for us today. She was considered unclean, and anything this lady touched, and anyone she touched, and any room she walked in was contaminated by her uncleanness. Can you imagine? Having a reputation for being a contaminated person. Well, here comes John. Right? And you don't make eye contact. Right? 12 years. That means this lady probably wasn't able to even consider marriage. And because of that, motherhood was not even an option. And in the culture of her time, in her day, that meant she was less of a human being. Can you imagine suffering through the most difficult time of your life and doing so absolutely alone? She had a reputation for being an unclean person due to circumstances completely outside of her control. This lady 
We don't even know her name. This lady was desperately lonely. Profoundly lonely. She pushed through tradition. She broke with custom. And she reached towards the rabbi. Oh, this is a beautiful picture. I want you to lean into the word of God here. There was this synthetic, which means man-made. There was a synthetic but impervious wall between her and God. And she could have sat at home and just considered herself cursed. She could have sat at home and just prayed, God, send somebody to my house. But this lady was proactive with her need. Her desperation fueled her movements as she found Jesus. And with trembling hand, listen, from the crowd, Around Christ, there was a trembling hand and the tip of her finger brushed the edge of his robe. And like a lightning bolt, power came. Jesus turned around and said, power has left me. Who touched me? And Peter, you know, it's like the secret service around Jesus. They're doing crowd control. And Peter looked at him, and they're pushing the people back. They're paparazzi, people wanting autographs, people wanting all kind of stuff from Jesus. And and, and Peter's like, Master, everyone's touching you. What are you, the other gospel says the crowd was pressing in or crushing Jesus. So you can imagine just the, the, the crowd that is pressing in. Everybody's trying to see. There's layers of people. And yet Jesus stopped on, a, on his way to a 911 call in the midst of a crisis moment. He stopped and he turned around and he's not looking at the crowd. He's looking for a person. He's looking for this lady. The beautiful picture. As far as we know, this woman had very limited understanding of who Jesus was. And I want you to hear this. Jesus did not rebuke her ignorance, but rather he endorsed her faith. It's a beautiful thing. We don't know where she came from. We really don't know where she went. But God has given us through his word a snapshot of this moment of a desperate woman in the crowd reaching towards Christ. It's not enough to be in the crowd around Christ. Many of us show up Sunday after Sunday and we're curious. We're the curious crowd looking over other people's shoulders. You gotta make contact with the Messiah. You gotta make contact with Christ. You have to at some point reach towards the rabbi and it's the desperate need and the recognition of our own sinfulness that causes us to reach towards something greater than ourselves. We come to a point where this world and all it has to offer is vanity, vanity. It's meaningless. In the midst of our success, in the midst of our upper middle class lifestyles, there is an emptiness eating at our souls to take the initiative and to follow in the sandals of this desperate woman and to reach out of the crowd and make contact with Christ. That's when things change. Jesus wasn't annoyed with her. Sure, the disciples were. 
given their track record? I would have been. Come on, Jesus, Jarius, dead daughter. Jesus wasn't annoyed. He applauded, he celebrated her childlike faith. It's a beautiful thing. Jesus wasn't concerned with being contaminated. Rather, he was consumed with delivering the cure. Look at this. Like when he turned around, the religious leaders that were around him fully expected the brother to rebuke her. Right? The, other, the, other, the other gospels tell us kind of a different angle on this same event where she came up to Jesus and she fell on her feet and she came clean. When Jesus turned around and said, who touched me? Peter's like, ah, I don't know. But she, she, she fell on her face out of the crowd at the feet of Jesus. And the religious leaders and the same ones that were crossing their arms when he was hanging out with Matthew, the same ones that were criticizing Jarius, he was embarrassing himself. Now they're thinking, now she's going to get it. <laughs> they know who she is. She's the unclean one. She's the untouchable. And yet she touched a rabbi. So they were expecting Jesus to crack the religious whip and put her back in her place. And yet what does Jesus do? He turns around, who touched me? And again, there's so much going on here when you try to exegete the emotional atmosphere of the text where Jesus, his countenance, the kindness, the countenance of God through the faith, faith of Christ. It's incredible. She falls on her feet. And rather than looking in condemnation, he reaches down in compassion. And he lifts her up. And the first thing he said is this, daughter. Oh, that's the only time in the New Testament I've been able to find Jesus calling someone daughter. And I, I want you to hear the tone. It's not just the word. It's the tone. It's the inflection. It's the posture. And I want the Holy Spirit to captivate our God-given imaginations. As Jesus looks around and this lady is trembling, she's cowering, fully expecting the religious hammer to fall on her. And in spite of condemnation, she gets kindness. As Jesus looks and he says, daughter, Take heart. You did the right thing. <laughs> and he lifted her up. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Jesus reaching towards her after she had reached towards him? Listen, I hope you can imagine it. Because that's exactly what happens when anybody gets saved. I hope you can imagine. No, well, I'm a, we, we may not be a first century woman with a severe medical issue. We, not, we, we definitely are not a part of that culture at that time. But our hearts that are desperate for the grace of God. Our hearts that are parched for the spirit of God. We walk around this world in a dry and weary land where there is no water and our lips are cracked and our throat is parched and we go to Jesus as the fountain of living water, the only source of grace. And we're just like that woman. We're just like Jerry is saying, I can't do it. 
I can't do it. I have all the religious credentials. I have all the badges and the buttons. I have all the patches. I can't do it. I need Jesus. If you haven't hit a point in your life where you're kicking through doors and saying, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? And he's not hard to find. And you fall at his feet. God, help me. God, help me. That's salvation, people. So you should be able to empathize with Jarius. You should be able to empathize with this desperate lady. The tip of her finger brushed the edge of his robe. And that was enough. That was enough. There's potential power at the fringes of faith. Listen, she didn't grab his robe and pull. She didn't throw herself around him and squeeze. This is beautiful. The tip of her trembling finger this untouchable, this person that had a reputation for being unclean, this profoundly lonely soul, trembling feet, reached as, as he was passing by, and the tip of her finger brushed the very edge of his robe. And that was enough. And guess what? It still is. There's power at the fringes of faith. We have two very different people, but the same desperate faith. Do you see it? Do you see it in the story where Jesus is preaching the same message with two illustrations? One approaches publicly and bows down and pleads with Jesus. The other approaches secretly and silently. The man has money and power and status. The woman is on the very edge of society, shunned and alone, yet they have the same desperate need for something greater than themselves. The need for Jesus. Jarius barged in and rudely interrupted Jesus. The lady interrupted this 911 mission that Jesus was on. Listen now. To be desperate enough for God that we lay aside our manners and our politeness and we become spiritually uncivilized. When's the last time the Spirit of God was it so at work in your life that you couldn't wait to the invitation, that you stood up and you praised God, or you ran down weeping to the altar, throwing yourself down, wetting the carpet with your tears? When was the last time that a sense of spiritual desperation, it overcame our sense of decorum? And I no longer cared about what you thought, because I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Canadians are known for their manners, but our desperation for Jesus overrules our Canadian sensibilities, our Mennonite detachment, and our Baptist polity. Listen to me now. This is an uncomfortable truth. When you come to a point of spiritual crisis where desperation overwhelms decorum, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? 
in the middle of our songs, or you come here on a Tuesday afternoon and you kick through the door of the church and say, I got to pray. I need help. I can't make it another hour. I can't make it another day. Where's Jesus? The woman sitting alone in the darkness, in the shadows, on the edges. And she gets up and she goes through the town. Where's Jesus? Where's he at? If I could just touch the edge of his robe, it'll give me hope. And maybe, maybe, maybe my life will be worth something. We reach a point of desperation that should overwhelm our decorum. Jarius is reckless. And that makes us uncomfortable. But there is a sacred discomfort, people. You hear me? There is a holy disequilibrium that is essential to our sanctification. You hear me? Where somebody comes in and challenges us to step out of our culture. Somebody comes in and challenges us. We have 125 years of beautiful history here at our church. But we reach a point of desperation where we're no longer controlled by the history of our church, but by the Spirit of God. Say, God, I need you. I'm desperate for you. In a dry and weary land, Christ is the rock that brings refreshment. He is the only source of refreshment. God is the only source of grace. And so we crawl into his presence. And we look up and we see the same face that Jerry saw. That's what changes your life, by the way. That's what changed my life. It wasn't a sermon on a Sunday morning. It was Jesus finding me in a ditch on my worst moment. And I was cowering. I was so guilty. I was hurt. I was so guilty and I was cowering in the corner to say, God, I'm not worthy. God, I'm not worthy. And with trembling hand, I reached from the shadows. I reached from the ditch and I looked up and it was the countenance of God in the face of Jesus that changed my life. The kindness of God, the compassion where he didn't say, what have you done? said, my son, my son. And he reached down and he lifted me up. I'm going to invite the worship team, if they would, to come back and lead us in a time of response. The Bible says that God is capable of doing immeasurably more. Listen, this is the truth, and oftentimes... Our orthopraxy really doesn't align with our orthodoxy sometimes. Ephesians 3, God is capable of doing immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Listen, church, it's his power. This is who Jesus is. 
not who he was, not who he will be. Today, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Today, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Right now, Jesus is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. Right now, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And now every knee should bow, but someday every knee will bow. That's who you're reaching towards. And the same, listen, that same raw and reckless faith that activated the power of God that flowed through him to her is the same power that can flow into my life, into my circumstance, into your life, into your circumstance. Jesus is all powerful. There's one thing that's necessary. Simple but audacious faith. So the challenge for us today, most of us, some of you are first-time guests, I'm so glad you're here, and most of us are church people. And the challenge for us today is to not be in the crowd around Christ, not hearing other people's stories about what God can do, but you experience it for yourself. Whatever circumstance you came in here with, the challenge for us is to reach out of the crowd and make contact with Christ. To reach towards the rabbi. That's the first step to a changed life. And he will say to you, Father, help us to reach in faith towards the rabbi, even now, to look full into his wonderful face, and the things of earth, God, will grow strangely down in the light of your glory and grace. We fall at your feet and freely declare our desperation to declare our dependence on you, our King. And God, as we fall down, may you lift us up. If you're looking for ways to connect, find us on Facebook or YouTube. Just check out the show notes for details. Thank you for tuning in. I hope and pray that this has been a blessing in your life. And I hope that you'll continue the conversation with God by opening his word for yourself. Love y'all.